You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast sponsored by Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, Coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 to receive a discount. And by Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Visit DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y-P-I-G-B-B-Q.com. Use coupon KIME, K-E-I-M, to get 20% off your order. I just had one shipped to me the other day. I can't wait to use them. Today, the Washington Post, Les Carpenter, and I discuss Ron Rivera, focusing on the cancer diagnosis and what it means for the franchise now and long term. We're obviously glad that the prognosis is really good, so we're taking a look at this from a football perspective. I also talked to new Washington team president Jason Wright last week. We discuss a lot of things about his new job, including what his influence is thinking and why this is the right time for him to make such a move, and more. Part of the interview had some hiccups, thank you Zoom, but one thing Wright told me for certain, he will not meddle in football operations. And then I close it out with some of my early camp thoughts and observations. Don't forget to read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a big story coming out Monday on Chase Young. He's still dealing with a hip flexor in camp that doesn't take away from what he represents for this franchise. Check him out. And you can find me on Twitter at John underscore Keim, K-E-I-M. I hope you already knew that. Now, here's my conversation with the Washington Post, Les Carpenter. By the way, you can follow him on Twitter at Les Carpenter, L-E-S Carpenter. First thing I want to start with is Saturday's practice and the post-practice, the Ron Rivera, the talking to the players, um, <laughs> about five minutes or so, and he went on and his voice is rising and clearly wasn't happy. I mean, what did you, what did you take from that little snapshot of the practice? Yeah, there were a lot of words that began with the letter F, <laughs> and they have various conjunctions of that uh, of that word. Um, You know, I I took it as a message. I think there's a lot of messages being given right now. Uh, This is a moment kind of for them. I mean, his cancer diagnosis is, I think there's, there is, this is a step. It's not a step anyone wanted to have. But now that you've had it, this is that thing that they kind of build on. This is that moment for which you're going to rebuild this franchise. Now you have that shared experience to go through. And, you know, I, I, I think he's looking for places to, to really deliver messages in that. And I think uh, yesterday, we're, we're doing this on a Sunday morning, so yesterday, the Saturday practice, was very much one where he's, he's looking at some guys at, you know, around the bubble here a little bit for starting jobs and saying, you know, here's an opportunity. Not much is given to you. Right. You know, here, here is a chance. And I, I, I think he's trying to get them to see urgency. I think it also feels like... You know, as much as 
much as people want to win now, and who doesn't? But this also feels like he's laying foundations for what he expects, not just for this year, but for going forward. So like what, you know, whether or not you win this year, you need to establish standards as well. Absolutely. And I think, again, uh, you know, people that I would talk to about what it's like in Carolina, they would say, look, you know, he's a wonderful guy, the culture, you know, he's into, you know, he cares about you. And we do it together. It's like a family. And they really, truly mean it to be that way. But within that, there's the tough love. And I, I think we've all seen some clips of meetings and things in Carolina where he just oh, yeah. went off on guys. And, and we're starting to see that a little bit here. I mean, he is an explosive guy. I think guys know to not take it too personally. But I think there are, you know, he, he delivers messages with a lot of vigor. And, you know, this idea that he that it's a family, that it's close, he almost gets, you know, people always said he's a player's coach, but he's a player's coach to a degree. Right. He's a player's coach who's also a disciplinarian. And that's an interesting kind of combination. Uh, Belichick's a little bit like that, a different, you know, sort of demeanor. Someone who is truly a player's coach and does take care of his veterans and things, but also is obviously very much all business. And I think Rivera is very similar to that. And it's funny because when, play, again, player, people hear players coach and it, there's different connotations. But to me, with some of these guys, you listen to Jonathan Allen, for him that means he's disciplined and that's what he wants. It's not about, like, are you my buddy? It's about are you giving me the parameters that I can operate and succeed under? And I think it's that, fatherly is yes. the way I would look at it. It's paternal. I mean, it is, there is, yes, he is, he's there. He's, he's interested in you in your life. Yes, he wants to do things that will make your your career interesting, you know, or, or helpful. You know, things that will make you perhaps better and feel better about your experience. But I, the way I've been able to kind of see it, I think he is he is definitely bringing you know some of that fire too. And uh, and you have to understand that there are standards and rules, and we're going to play by those. And we haven't didn't see a lot of standards being set the last few years. To be quite no, clear. no, and 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 it. It mattered when things were falling apart. Right. It Correct. mattered. And I, and I do think, I, I, I don't want to be too hard on Jay Gruden or, or Bill Callahan because I think that they did. I, I always thought one of the great things about Jay was that he, he had the same demeanor. Whether, absolutely. Whether absolutely. things were good or whether things were bad. And I think he kept some of that evenness. But on the other hand, yeah, when things fall apart, where do you go? Right. And I mean, things have certainly have fallen apart over the years with injuries and whatnot. And maybe there were just too many injuries. But I do. His Carolina team's survived a lot of early calamity and I and I think he's trying you know I think there's a reason for that and I think too like you go back to the cancer stuff and you had brought up some of the questions I think during the post-practice zoom press conference about like for the players what does this mean for them as far as a bonding experience almost and you know I think there's something that maybe you can you don't want to use just a health as a as a as a rallying cry per se but I think what the, the toughness and the vulnerability and the trusting them can be can go a long way toward building something. This is absolutely a moment. This is this is a big moment in, in their rebuilding. I mean, this is you know, I, I said before. I mean, this is their this is the this is the platform upon which now they can build something. They you know this is their there's a lot of chaos that's going on around here, but I think he's done a pretty good job of shielding the players from a lot of that. I mean, in fact, in some ways, he's probably taken on too much right. of it himself and, and, and absorbed too much of it himself. Um, but this is the one they can do together. This is him. This is them. It's personal. This is private. This is their, this is their thing together. And it's their bad thing together. And where do they go from that? And, I, you know, I, one of the things I took away was his curiosity 
to see where they go with sure. that. Because that's going to tell him a lot about the guys that he has and does Absolutely. he want here or not want in the future. And I think it's also something for each of them to now kind of have a bond with him that somehow will, you know, if it works the way that, that you know, you would, or you would hope it would work, is that they get a little better, that they want to run through that wall a little bit more for him because they know what he's going through. And, you know, it's, it's when he was in Carolina the last couple of years, I think one of the things that helps, in Carolina the last couple of years, he kind of got away from being just the overseer. He was handling more of the defense and all that because he felt like he had to. He had McDermott before that, Wilkes before that. Didn't feel like he had to. He, he was the overseer. The fact that he's an overseer here, I think, helps this situation, that he's got guys that he feels like he can trust in the various coordinator roles. So if he has to step away, then there's not a huge disruption on a daily basis for the players in their meetings and what they're hearing except from an overall organizational message. That Jack Del Rio hire, you know, looks more brilliant today right. than even it did before. And, you know, he's talked a lot about this, uh, the mistake he felt he made early in Carolina right. in his first year by not having a former head coach on the staff. And I think that's so much what he wanted, not just a former head coach, but a guy who actually had, uh, right. had coached, uh, you know, what, eight years in Jacksonville and another couple. And I mean, right. he's a 10-year, 12-year head coach in this league. Um, and so, you know, that's right now, if Jack Del Rio has to coach this team, it's, it's like nothing to Jack. The, the right. moment isn't too big for him. Uh, and that's going to be essential in, in how they go forward in September. And I think they're going to have to. This is a serious, you know, this isn't just any little thing that right. Ron Rivera has. This is a, this is a cancer that is, will, will knock him out. You talk to doctors, this will knock him out a yeah, little bit. I'm absolutely. very survivable, but it's, he's going to miss some time. And he I think knows he has that. To. He knows that. He does, and I think he's trying to downplay it a little bit. But, I, yeah, I, I there may be a week, you know, we don't see him. <laughs> right. And, and that's okay. Um, and I think it's definitely going to be okay for this team because you've got a guy who has seen everything. I mean, you've been a coach that long in the league as a head coach. You've seen everything. And I think the important thing, too, is he was an interim coach in Denver. So there is a difference between being your, the main guy in charge and taking over for somebody. That's what I mean. He's yeah. seen it all. Right. He has been in every situation. He's seen, you know, and, and that matters. Yeah. And that matters a lot. And, you know, especially with all, everything swirling around here, you need people who have been in those chairs for a long time who aren't going to be rattled by the situation. And I, I know I used the phrase just a second ago, not too big for it. But this, you know, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it, this will be too big for Jack Del Rey. And, and I think it will, he will have to have a role at some point. And I, I kind of go back to something else you brought up, too, is if he'll find out, we'll all see, he'll see who are the leaders who are going to step up during a time like this. Yeah. You know, who's because you're going to need guys, because, like, I think the misnomer outside an organization is that these coaches can be these hard charges and get everything. You need guys in those meeting rooms who take over. You have to have a positional leader at each group. And so I think they'll really see who are those guys. Do you have those guys? Absolutely. I mean, I remember, you know, because I took over this beat right before the start of the 2018 season, so I'm scrambling to kind of learn this team. And in talking to people, the one thing that I kept coming back with was they don't feel they have leaders here. Right. I mean, Alex Smith was their leader, and he could kind of, because he was such a leader, he could kind of gloss over some of the other problems. But they didn't feel like they had the rest of those leaders throughout the team. Like a John Allen, who they believed could be, was, was, was young. And... Trent Williams, you know, wasn't here last year. And so... And I think there's some dispute in the organization as to what kind of leader he really was uh, as well. Yeah, that's what I know. But there's, he still was a leader. Right. He still was a very respected guy in this in this, uh, in this organization. And that, that line looked to him for everything. Absolutely. And a lot of people on that offense did. And, 
you know, Adrian, that's why I and think he played he's leaning, through a lot. No, I man. think he's why he's leaning so much on Adrian Peterson right now. You, you know, Thomas Davis, Thomas Davis, who obviously was a leader for him in Carolina. But this is a young team, and this is a new team. Those guys are going to have to merge on their own. We've seen a lot more from Dwayne Haskins in maturity this year than last year, which is great. That's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to, you know, kind of grow up, you know, as you go along with this. But who's that wide receiver? I mean, it's, it's Terry McLaurin probably right now. But right. who else is going to step up in that? Who's Who's going to step up in that secondary? I mean, probably why they brought Kendall Fuller, but I think you're going to need other people. You're going to need you're going to need someone on that on that defensive line to really be the guy and and lead. It may not be the best player, and not just not just be the guy there, but somebody who can who can really lead a group. Because I do think, like when Ziggy Hood was here, I know you know people kind of looked at his play internally. They looked at what he did in that room and how he led that room, and you set a tone for the room about how you prepare, how you work. And you hear guys talking about that with guys like Peterson, about they see the work he puts in. It's not about, like, oh, he makes these great moves. It's about, you know, and I think, I don't remember, which Bryce Love was talking about that the other day. Like, the work he sees AP put in is what rubs off on them. That's why it's important to have those guys in those rooms. And it was interesting that I thought last year they kind of drafted a little bit more guys like that. Right. I thought I thought Bryce Love was, was a, you know, an example of I that. Did, yeah. I you know, there's a couple other guys in that in that um, in that draft that I thought could kind of ultimately be that guy. But whoever those leaders are, because it's such a young team, those guys are going to be you know often second. You know, Terry McLaurin as a, a you know as a second year wide receiver probably you know is again a huge leader on this offense because of those things you talked about. But he's a second year player. I mean, I think you're going to have to have a couple of those guys, first, second, third year players, step up and be leaders. At a time when you necessarily wouldn't assume that that guy would have to be a leader Correct. this and early. Think, yeah, Terry's definitely one of those guys. And I think that's why he said, like, it's good that Dwayne is attempting to take those steps. We'll see what happens. I know, you know, it could be during the season. We, you're going to really find out what kind of leader somebody is during the season. Like you said with, with Jay, when stuff starts to happen, what what is your response to that? That's when we'll see. And so there will be stuff that happens. And, and I think we'll get a good feel for where this team really is at. Not just now, but again, I think this is all about building a foundation for the future, for not just this year, but for the next five. I think that's I think that is very important. Oh, absolutely. And again, this is the you know, to get back to, to Rivera's diagnosis, I mean this accelerates that. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know where that moment was that moment would have come or maybe it would have been accumulation of several moments of, you know, some some bad performances early or whatever it was, that adversity that you need to build, you know, for the future was going to come, uh, but it, it, it not like this this fast, right. and it just the, the clock is the clock is set a little earlier. Yep. And now we see where they go from that, and it's uh, and again we'll see who steps up, and I think he's very curious to see who steps up. All right, Les, they got one on one. Let's go watch it. Thanks for joining me. I owe you some lattes. I, I this is a plug for Lono <laughs> Coffee, is it not? No, it's, I, well, it just turned into one. I, I, I can I, get you some low note I thought coffee. you teed me up there. No. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Les. Thank you, John. After this break, I'll be back with Washington's new team president, Jason Wright. He shares his influences and his beliefs in building culture. He's a sharp guy, folks. When I grill or cook in the kitchen, I usually like to grind my spices fresh. The ones I make at home just taste better. But I've changed my strategy up a bit to use Dizzy Pig Craft Seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily, and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. 
Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the Barbecue Tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Among the ones I've really enjoyed, the Raging River and Wonderbird. Both are excellent on chicken. The Cow Lick is amazing on beef and their popular Dizzy Dust is truly all-purpose. But with 27 different blends, there's a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 20% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIME, that's K-E-I-M, at DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y Pig BBQ.com. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Jason Wright. This is a historical move. What what does this mean for you? What does this feel like for you? You know, I can speak to it personally. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a football player at heart. You know, I've been playing since I was seven years old. My dad was the coach. Went to Northwestern on a football scholarship. Played seven years in the NFL and, and had a unique experience of being undrafted and just trying to make the squad. And that's one half of my life. And then the other half is as a business leader, an analytic thinker, helping companies and organizations around the world transform. So for me, it's personally a huge moment to actually bring those two worlds together. I mean, what other job would they come together at such a unique time for an organization at the point our, you know, our team is? Um, uh, and then I'm, I'm just happy that um, I landed in this role at that time. And then you know, there are other reasons that it's historic, um, um, but that's sort of a byproduct of just me happening to be the the right and qualified candidate at this time. And so all that's sort of icing on the cake. But, but does it does it mean because those kind of things? So you are mean for you be in place uh, a culture that itself now are are going to make. That's a pivot from um, you know what's been around in the past to a culture that's inclusive, that's transparent, where people are able to thrive both on the field and on the business side, irrespective of demographic, of background, et cetera and actually seeing that diversity as a strength that helps us make better business decisions, perform better on the field, et cetera. Um, and so I think in, insofar as it signals a shift, that is a very exciting thing. Why did you want this job at this time? That's a good question. I mean, it's, uh, in one sense, you could say there's a lot going on. You sure you want to take this on? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there are a few things that made it clear. Um, one is what the Snyders and coach have already done to signal that this is a new direction, not just by talk, but by action, made me really confident that I could come in here and actually affect change, that I'd have the ability, autonomy to, to make real change. Um, you know, evidence of that is the way that coach is setting a new culture, the words he's using, types of folks he's bringing into the organization, um, the way that the Snyders very quickly got an independent investigator to come in on the sexual harassment charge. Um, these are moves that signal it's a new day. Um, and so for me, that's exciting. But also, you know, there's a bunch of complex challenges that we're facing, and, and I love taking those things on. We're, we're going to navigate, which is, you know, the challenge of our time across different businesses right. of all types, real work um, to LA as a football club. Eventually, and this is where it really dovetails with my and we're going to select the site and build a new stadium over the next few years. Right. These are huge growth principles built into it. I know it, but I'm going to read it to you anyways. When I played football, one thing I saw was an opportunity to influence on scale. You were yeah. doing that at McKinsey. 
Can you, how do you feel you can do that here and what part of that appeals to you about this job? Yeah, that's, that's, that's really right. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to think of the opportunity as a professional to do great work for your company, your corporation, your organization, but also to leverage what platform it is to have impact on the things you care about. Um, and I think the Washington football team is at a unique moment and the NFL, for better or for worse, is at the center of so much important dialogue around uh, the role of sport um, the the vo players finding their voice in a new way around the things they care about. And, and so for me to be able to jump into that fray and first and foremost, expand the value of the franchise, do the business the way it's supposed to be done, but in the process, figure out where I can begin to espouse the values that the football club has held and where it intersects with my personal values to help move some of these things forward. Absolutely, it's a great moment um, for all of us. You know, you brought up culture. There has been a lot of talk about culture and with this organization over the years. The word toxic is usually associated with that. What do you see, how do you see as the key to improving that culture? What can you do to influence that? Well, you know, I'm still, I'm still in week negative one, my friend. So it would take me a minute <laughs> yes. to figure out, uh, to, get my, to get my feet but underneath I'm sure you me. have thoughts on it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a couple of things right off the bat. Um, what I like is that there's an independent, um, especially on the sexual harassment charge, with the, which are at the core right. of the shift that needs to happen. Um, the, the organization is taking them seriously. I am taking them incredibly seriously. And it's first order of business to get in and get fully steeped in the details of what's going on. Um, I'll find out what's happening. But the big thing is I know where we're going to head. We're going to head to an organization where um, women leaders are prominent in the organization, they're empowered to have a voice, and they are going to make us a better business. Because the facts actually say that when you have a diverse leadership team, when you give more than one woman a voice in, this, in meaningful decisions in your organization, you actually get to better outcomes. And so um, empowering all of our employees, and particularly those that may have had challenges in the past to actually exerting their voice and bringing their full selves is sort of priority number one. But I think there's other things too, you know, in general, um, I like, I, I think of things like I did in football. Um, you have the best talent on the field and then you trust each other to do a great job. Like when I was a, a third down back, I wasn't worried about what the left tackle was doing because he's a right. professional, he's at his craft. I trust him to do his job and I do my job. What I really want to do is set that norm for us on the business side as well, where we've got people that are trusted, where we're able to um, uh, really believe in the folks working alongside us make sure they're equipped with the tools and things they need to succeed, but then let them fly. Because sports has amazingly talented people who are there because of the passion. I'm excited to unleash that potential in the business side. You also, you have a player background, as you said, seven years in the NFL. First of all, how did that shape your philosophy as far as running and you know, being in this role, but also kind of been associated with that, you're just gonna stay on the business side. Is there, there's no temptation for you to at all be involved on a football side? No, man. You see this body? I don't have a football body anymore. It's that. <laughs> that, that has long, that has long just, since even in terms of But even in terms of decision making. Yeah, cer certainly not in decision making. Um, there's a clear dividing line between um, what Coach Rivera runs, which is the entire football side. He is the chief executive of everything that happens on the football side, and I run the business. Um, that's super clear. Where I think the player background is helpful is in a few ways. Um, uh, I talked a little bit about how it's influenced my view on talent and how you um, uh, unleash the potential in an organization. Right. But there's a very tactical thing that's going to help Coach Rivera out. 
the business side and the football side intersect all the time. Right. I've got an intuitive understanding about how to not get in the way. <laughs> in the season, the player's focus needs to be on performance on the field. I know what that takes. I know what it means to be focused Monday through Sunday um, and into Monday. A good operating model that focuses helpful um, is, is recognizing the interface um, and the, the attuned to that. Players are very attuned to that. Coaches are very attuned to that. We need to be attuned to that on the business side. Um, we need to have that same, um, that, that same eye and that same sensibility as to what it means to represent ourselves in the community and to the public. And what that means in representing a whole DMV area and the team that they love, right? Um, I think that will help as well. Um, and then I think uh, more than football, a bunch from my business background is gonna be more helpful than anything else. When did, you, when, did they, uh, when did you start getting involved in the discussions to become team president? Yeah, you know, our, our networks, you know, it's almost in they were gonna overlap, myself and uh, the, the Snyders, right? I'm a business leader here in the DC area, um, uh, former player. And so uh, our networks just happened to overlap. And um, I grew very excited about the true commitment that I heard from them and saw from them around a new direction for the team. And I think they got excited about the unique uh, aspects of my background, football and business um, coming together. Um, and so uh, I'm really excited to launch in partnership with them and Coach Rivera. So when, when, did, when did, was it like a month or two ago? Like Oh, no, it's, 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 fairly, it's, uh, it's fairly recent. Okay. It's fairly recent. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a fast whirlwind process, um, but uh, eager to jump in. And I, I, I appreciate your time. I got two more quick ones. One, was there a, who was a key influence on you growing up that would lead you down this path? Because as a player, you could go different direction. You could coach, you could do this. You're clearly going down mm -hmm. an influential path. Who was a big influence on you for that? Yeah, I mean, this is my parents all the way. You know, um, both sides of my family, I've got a of civil rights activists on both sides of my family. And the ethos in my household was one of empowerment of our family and people um, by finding a way to have influence in society. And, um, and for me, my parents always told me, like, Jason, fo football is great, and it's wonderful you're a great player, but your, your brain is going to carry you much further than your legs in the long run. Um, and so I always had thought about where I would be able to use my intellect and the other capabilities that I had beyond my, beyond my ability to run the football uh, to really have the type of impact that I was raised in. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's really my parents, um, in, in particular, my dad who was my coach and a friend and a mentor um, who continues to, to help me keep my eye on the North Star a bit. Very last one, you were also a union leader too at one point. How did that shape your philosophy and, and just did it determine like what direction you wanted to go? Yeah, I mean, it reaffirmed my desire to go to business school. It was such a fascinating experience being a player rep during the lockout. There was so much that I didn't fully understand about how the business of sports operated. And I'm a nerd at heart and I grew incredibly fascinated by it. Um, and so going to business school was absolutely a way for me to say, I need to understand this world. I need to understand the frameworks in which they think. I need to understand how money and value is created in companies. Um, and then I was able to do that for the better part of the last decade as a partner at this management consulting firm. Um, and so it very much was a catalyst and a reinforcer for me wanting to go into business. Um, and, and I find that the systems thinking and the business thinking that is important around creating values in companies and organizations, which we'll do to expand the value of this franchise, are also important on any other topic as well. And I'm really grateful for the push. 
Jason, I appreciate your time. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. So thank you for joining me. Congratulations. And we'll see you out there. Yeah, thanks, John. Thank you. After this break, I'll be back with a few observations from training camp. You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here's a couple things you need to know based on what I've seen in training camp and heard on a few other things. I'm going to start with Jason Wright. The feeling internally is he'll be a lot more transparent than Bruce Allen ever was. My goodness, that's a low bar to set there, isn't it? And a lot more relatable, another low bar. Wright will also care about building a culture and not just give lip service to it as Allen and, frankly, owner Dan Snyder has done. People in the organization are excited because of what they've heard from others in the league office about him. He's a no-nonsense guy who, who the, room, or the word is, sniffs out BS. This is someone the NFL has wanted to get back in the fold for a few years. I think it's somewhat funny that some have taken shots at Snyder for hiring him saying he wouldn't have done this a couple months ago. Well, maybe they're right, but here's the thing. Nobody else did either. He's the first African-American team president in the NFL. Whatever the motives are, you can't get past the fact that he now has the job and nobody else in the NFL has done what Washington did. I was also told he's very much a stay-in-your-lane guy. I know some, I heard from some people on social media who were worried about what will happen because of what went on with Bruce Allen. It's a horrible comparison. This guy's not Bruce Allen. Not to mention the fact that the guy played seven years in the NFL and and knows football. I remember once talking to another former player who went on to play a big role in a large corporation. I asked him if he'd ever want to be a team president. He said, yeah, he would. And of course, we were talking about Washington's job. But he also stressed that he would stay on the business side. And it kind of dawned on me when I'm thinking about Wright and this guy both of those guys kind of entered either as a low draft pick or undrafted. They, all, they both have the same mentality to work for what they have, but also to stay in your lane. And I think that's what Jason Wright will do. Finally, I heard from a few ex-employers or employees of the Redskins, and they, some of them were excited about this move because it's exactly the kind of guy they felt was needed there. Others have, but others have issued the yeah, but, as in yeah, but what happens if Snyder continues his old ways? Trust me, there were people who were trying to convince Snyder to make moves like this a few years ago. He just didn't want to listen. But you know what? They did make those moves. 
Snyder wears out employees with late night calls and excessive demands. And there are people inside there who feel like as long as he lets them do their jobs and just kind of leaves them alone, it'll be okay. Snyder has stumbled upon a very good setup with a respected coach and team president and personnel guy. Get on the yacht, let them do their jobs. Because if this doesn't work, Snyder will no longer be able to point the finger at some other you know, nefarious evil guy like a Bruce Allen, like a Vinny Serrato. These guys aren't going to, you're not going to be able to do that with this group. It might be the most crucial few years in Snyder's ownership. If this doesn't work, this is, this is a time where it should be able to work. You have a young team. You have good people in place. Let them do their jobs. Leave them alone. Of course, it's his right to know what's going on. But man, the 2 a.m. calls, cut them out. Now, here are some observations from the field. I know there's some people who still remain a little bit skeptical about Alex Smith's ability to get all the way back, but man, he remains such a good story. The next step will be easing him into 11-on-11 work, first by having him do handoffs. A couple sites have been good. There was one time in 9-on-9 work in which the pass rush got pushed back to his front plant leg, not the injured one. It's a good example, though, of why Ron Rivera likes the 9-on-9 session. It gives... QB is a better look versus pressure and gives the coaches a better chance to gauge how they react to that pressure. Smith was okay, didn't let it distract his eyes. Another time, Sunday, he took off running in a 7-on-7 drill, ran to his right as if he were going to take, take off, but then he pulled up and threw. The pass was incomplete, but making moves like that helps give coaches a better idea of what he can do. I know some people there are absolute in thinking they won't really know what he can do until he's an 11-on-11 and shows that he can not only move, but do so with the suddenness needed. And people I respect there still feel like he's not game ready. Even if he gets out there to 11-on-11, he's not game ready. There, This is really a one-sided, to me, quarterback competition. And, of course, that leads me to Dwayne Haskins. He's taken every snap with the first team. This is not a competition between he and, and Alex Smith or he and Kyle Allen. This remains Haskins' job to lose. And, again, it's the competition is between Haskins and himself. If somehow Smith completes his recovery, I think he would enter, but only if Haskins fails to show what they want. And I think that's going to carry into the season. I, think, I don't think Smith is going to be there for, for week one, even if he came back. I think it's something where Haskins would have to stumble and Smith has to prove that he's game ready. Here's what I know. Haskins is far different than he was a year ago. Think about where he was at this time last year. He was learning to call plays in the huddle, not just learn the offense. He was learning to be an NFL quarterback and the responsibilities that were required. He knows that part now. He can call plays in the huddle better. Even in September last year, I was told he didn't know all the formations. He was so far behind, and it showed when he took the field. In his first game against the Giants, for example, I was told out of 30 plays, 28 were deemed a negative by coaches. Not about the result. It's about decision-making and execution. During camp, there have been off-target throws. Haskins has a tendency to sail the ball when he's off. That happened in college. Sometimes when I watch him, it can be about his eyes not being in sync with his feet. But he can also be very accurate in those cases, too. And I saw that Sunday. His feet were pointing to the left. He sees something over on the right. And before his feet get around, he's got the arm talent to just whip it out there and complete it. So, you know, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the problem is that it does work for him at times like that. But I think it's also sometimes can lead to issues, and they're just looking for some, a little bit more consistency in the other. Sometimes it's his base, perhaps a difference in the plant leg 
Um, though in studying it, I don't know that there's a common problem. Sometimes the base might be a bit narrow when he sails it, and that's in like individual drills. So we'll see. But he did improve in this area late in the week. I felt they had a stronger practice Sunday, and the key isn't where he's at now. It's where can he get to to make a judgment after a couple weeks in an, in, when, he's in a, when they're in a new offense in a year disrupted by a pandemic when they have a lot of skill guys that they're still not sure about and rotating guys in and out, et cetera. A, dis, a judgment would be really hasty, to say the least. There have been plays in which I've heard coaches praise his decision-making. As Rivera has harped on, if you can't make good decisions, it's hard to play quarterback in this league. Also, there's stuff out of his control, like the talent around him, how somebody runs his routes, et cetera, the, the protection. Now, he can help with the protection with his calls. He can get himself into better spots, but that's, this is all why he'll be measured in ways that go way beyond the stats. If you're just going to look at stats, you're not going to know the whole story, which to me is a smart way to judge him. There's going to be stuff that's going to go wrong that he's going to have to react to. Um, how is he going to handle it as a leader? That's when you learn what kind of leader you are, not just by all the stuff you did in the offseason, but how do you react when things go bad? How do you react if you have a bad game? Are you the first guy in the next day? You know, are, are you the back end ready to work and taking your lumps and just looking forward? You do that, you build up leadership points. Haskins hasn't been perfect. There are definitely areas that Washington can build, build upon, however. And I think this is where it gets difficult under the new setup. We have no in-person one-on-ones, and that's always where you get the better information. Sometimes you'd sit there and talk to guys for an hour after practice, and that's when you pick things up. That's when you develop a relationship, develop trust, and you hear things from players, from coaches. It's hard to tell unless you have the play script, what a guy should be doing, where he should be throwing, etc. Maybe the receiver runs a wrong route, but having access to those guys are key. And I will say, some of the things I've heard from them inside, like this is training camp. They understand what's going on. They also understand that Haskins is the guy right now and that he is light years ahead of where he was a year ago. I enjoy watching Terry McLaurin. You can see this, his, the same ability this summer to create separation, especially at the top of his routes. I think he's being challenged a little bit. I think Darby, Ron Darby gives him some good challenges. Um, and I think you're seeing some of that separation skill in Steven Sims as well. He started to show that at the end of last season. And in some one-on-one drills, that's what I've seen again, especially on those short routes. His quickness creates good separation, which creates more room to run after the catch on those underneath situations. He's worked on his explosiveness, explosiveness at the top of his routes. As you would know if you heard my interview with his receivers coach, David Robinson, about a month or about two months ago. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it because David Robinson breaks down what he worked on with Sims. It was really good, and I think it gives you something to watch this year. Anyways, I like what I've seen from him. Montez Sweat looks all right in his second camp. One thing I've learned from some players, this defense is a lot less complicated than a year ago, the last couple years, and Sweat is able to play one spot, defensive end. As a rookie, he was playing outside linebacker, defensive end, dropping into coverage. Now, lining up up at end, getting after it. Big difference. I know Chase Young was working with the second team mostly before he tweaked his hip and, and he had to sit out. One thing I know from Young, about Young, from reporting on the story I wrote about him, he wants to earn everything. So the fact that he wasn't immediately the day one starter or taking every first team rep certainly won't do anything but push him in a very positive way. And that's what you want. What you could see in his limited time last week was the burst off the edge as well as to the inside. 
He appears to have a plan when he rushes, something that young guys often don't have. Montez Sweat said it wasn't until late in the year last year that he developed a plan. You could tell he was thinking way too much before that point. I think that's one area where you can really credit Ohio State and their defensive line coach, Larry Johnson. Yeah, I know it's my alma mater, but Larry Johnson is one of the best. He had Chase Young and Nick Bosa in the same room. A lot of other talented guys have come through there. It gives guys a, a baseline to measure themselves, and I think it pushes guys, and I think you come out a little bit further ahead because of it. As for the offensive line, Wes Martin has been the starter at left guard. I liked him last summer. Um, I do know he got chewed out by Rivera after practice the other day, more so about Rivera pushing him to let him know that this is your big chance. Take advantage of it. Wes Schweitzer hasn't been out there. Don't know exactly why, but he hasn't been. Uh, Jaron Christian has worked with the ones throughout when he's been out there at left tackle. Had some mixed, some mixed days. I felt like early on there's some days where I say, hey, he looks better. Um, he's also facing Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat. He was facing Chase Young as well last week. So he's going to get a really good test. And I think there's, like I said, there's been some days where you see some issues and some days where you haven't. And it kind of looks a lot like this at camp last year, to be honest. Cornelius Lucas, I mean, as far as the left tackle position goes, Cornelius Lucas looks like a backup swing tackle. Haven't seen Sadiq Charles yet. Not sure about the severity of his injury. Ron Rivera isn't big on divulging that information. That's a huge difference between he and Jay Gruden. Probably better for the team, not better for us on the reporting end, but I get it from a coach's perspective. The offense will be so will be interesting to watch. So much motion, and yes, they will use two running backs at times. That's no secret. Um, I think it's a matter of who you parent, who are you pairing out there. Um, that will tell a lot. I think they work hard at trying to fool the eyes with that motion in the direction of the play. Won't always work, of course, but I've seen it have success. And there are options off of what they do. I mean, a lot of options. I also think they will put a huge emphasis on receiver blocking, given some of the action, the jet action. They like to attack the edges. Um, so I think you know that means whether it sweeps with the receiver in motion, sweeps with the receiver leading on that because of the motion action. Um, one thing I saw from Antonio Gandy-Golden, the rookie, looks like he can block, or at least he's a willing blocker. He hasn't won every block, but I know he looks like a willing blocker. Has shown the ability to get up there and make the catch. I need to watch him more getting off and focus on him more getting off the line of scrimmage against some good corners. Time for that. You want an undrafted guy to watch? For me, it was and remains receiver Isaiah Wright. I never thought Thaddeus Moss was going to make the roster, not just because of the injuries. I just thought that he was going to be behind some of these guys. Um, and so, and, and I think that was the case. Um, you know, he had the injury, and he'll be, he will eventually he'll likely be, end up on IR here. Um, I know some tight ends have been written about, namely Marcus Ball. He had, he's flashed a little bit at times. Logan Thomas has had a good co a couple days where he's jumped out a little bit. They're still going to need somebody at season's end or after the season to come in and solidify this position. I don't think they, they don't have that all-around guy by any means. You know, you see some inconsistencies in blocking, etc. Rivera did have Ball in Carolina, considers him somewhat raw. But he does have size, and his athleticism, I think, can get him on the roster. I think if you had to draw it up right now, he'd be on the roster based on the looks they're giving him. But sometimes what, what, I, what you're seeing with these coaches is they're putting guys in position to see what they can do. And I think Baugh's a guy they want to see what he can do. I think Troy Apke's a guy they want to see what he can do on the defensive side. That's why he's been lining up with the number ones. They do that with the linebackers. I think it's a smart strategy. Um, I would also say it's not hard at all to see a scenario where Jeremy Sprinkle isn't on the roster. 
not going there completely yet, but let's see how that develops. I think it's something to watch. I do like what I've seen from the corners. Is it because they're facing an unproven group of receivers? Maybe, but I think they're pretty good. I think Darby has had some good coverage on McLaurin at times. He's broken well on the ball. Um, he stripped the ball, made some good recoveries. I love what I've seen from Kendall Fuller in coverage. Always seems to be in the right place. And corner Jimmy Moreland is not getting lost like he was at times last year. In one-on-ones last year, he would guess wrong and get beaten badly sometimes. His interceptions overshadowed any of those struggles, however. But he's so much more consistent now, and I think he'll be a better player for them now, whether he's lining up inside um, if Fuller, when Fuller drops to safety or if he's on the outside. And I also think Fabian Moreau has been solid as well. And Ron Rivera pointed out Aaron Colvin as a group of five that he feels comfortable with at this point. That's it for this episode. Thank you to our sponsors, Lono Coffee and Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Please support them. And thank you to Jason Wright and Les Carpenter for joining me. And as always, thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.